Welcome to another episode of the Listen In Podcast with Jake and Sean. We are on episode 19. Jake. Yes, we are. There's 19. that cadence. That's what I'm used to. 19. Dude, I think we should have a big blowout bash for episode 20. Maybe invite a couple bands, have a, you know, get your parents out of here for the, for the weekend. Tell you what, we'll have on Vampire Weekend. We'll have on the Rolling Stones. And we'll bring John Lennon back from the dead. What do you say? I'd say that if we have any way of doing that, we should do it. Right, but I, I'm, I'm excited. 20th should... episode, put it in the books. That's next week. We can. We only need a couple days to wrangle those guys together. Right, Yeah. especially dead John Lennon. And here's the thing. I think for 20 episodes, we should we should celebrate in some way. we got to think of some something good for the 20th episode. And I just placed probably undue pressure on us. Because I don't know if we're going to come up with shit. But hopefully something comes up. A lot up. of pressure. We'll do a little research. Yeah. We'll figure out what other podcasts have done for their 20th episode. Yeah, maybe we do a three, four-hour bash. that No one would listen to that. That would be crazy. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure something out. For but them. in the meantime, while we're figuring out, we should do 19 so that we actually get there. We should yeah, do we'll, episode 19 we'll actually now. do 19. So we wanted to start off today's episode with a little bit of news. News, 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 news. Well, and the thing about this news, Sean, is that this is almost, it's like barely news because it's been something that's been going on for kind of years now. Like Give a long some context time. to the listeners. What, so, are, what are we talking about? So the story is that Led Zeppelin is officially being sued by the band, is it Spirit? Spirit. Uh, for the likeness of the chord progression in one of their songs, which is called, do you remember? Stairway to Heaven. No, 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 no. The <laughs> Spirit song. Taurus. Taurus. Like a Ford Taurus. Oh, like Taurus. Taurus. That's how I'd pronounce it. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. very similar. The chord progression is similar to the first few chords in Stairway to Heaven, the iconic first few finger-picked chords. We just listened before the episode. I will say the resemblance is uncanny for those first few chords, but after that, they do a whole different thing. Sean, what's your take? I think this is a cash grab by Spirit. You heard it, you heard it here first. Wait, you mean Spirit's not reeling in the, the dough on, on, on Taurus? They're, they're trying to capitalize on a much more talented and popular band's success. Okay. And I don't like to see my boys Jimmy Page and Robert Plant being come at like this well let's be honest the the riff that or like the little chord progression it's not like you can to me you can't trademark a chord progression no and this is something that's been happening for years and years and years like actually in the in one of the newest episodes of vinyl on hbo which we're doing recaps for you can check that out sean's doing recaps they mentioned and this is keep in mind 1970s era one of the one of the songwriters was like all the chords have been used up. Like, I don't know. Everything sounds the same. You can only do so much. And then that's where another character was like, no, use E, A, B. Those are like the framework for blues songs. You can do anything off of that. And like, they, they it was a cool kind of thing like that. But they're right. A lot of these chords have been, and like progressions have been done before. That's because there's only so many progressions right. that make coherent sense. There's like... A, a handful. And after that, you're getting into some dissonant stuff. Like, if you want to be a noise band, like, have fun playing weird, like, intervals between your chords, and it'll sound weird, and, like, that's what you're going for so good. But this little riff in Stairway to Heaven, it's just a descending thing. It's like if uh, if Chicago sued Green Day for the riff to Brain Stew. Like, th that's a, another example of just a, the chords are just descending there. I mean, it's not, to me, and okay, so the sound of the chords is pretty similar between the spirit song and this and, and Stairway to Heaven. But but this is a, a classic example of like, look what Zeppelin did with it, look what spirit <laughs> right. did with it. Right. Zeppelin made Stairway to Heaven with it, which is like this sort of like 
epic, which has several parts of which that chord progression is just one. And it's also insanely famous. And the, the spirit song is like a footnote compared to it. Yeah, so it'd be one thing if this song was already popular and then Zeppelin ripped it off. I think Robert Plant or Jimmy Page said they hadn't even heard this song until 2014 when I think murmurs of this had been brought up. Right. The thing is, the lead singer of Spirit or whoever's bringing this suit against them said, I think a jury will be a lot more open to this than Led Zeppelin fans will be. Dude, yeah, Which, of course. This, sure. I'm going to go on, I'm going to just say that most of the jury, dude, are Zeppelin fans. <laughs> the judge is probably a Zeppelin fan. Yeah. Like, you're going to, actually, there might be a long process of booting jury members out of I there. Know. Because they'll like, be like, have you ever heard the song Stairway to Heaven? Did you ever make out to Stairway to Heaven at an eighth grade dance? Did you ever like Led Zeppelin? Yeah. And that pretty much eliminates everybody. Everybody. And here's the thing. I don't remember what the thing was. Maybe we move on. Well, I, I was going to say, there, there is precedent for this, though, because if you remember last year, last March, a jury did rule in favor of Marvin Gaye's estate that Pharrell and that fuckboy Robin Thicke ripped off Blurred Lines, which is basically, like, all about date rape or whatever. Uh, so that song sucks. I think they had it coming to them just because right. of, like how shitty Robin Thicke as a person is, and, like, the sinister context behind that song. But there is precedent for this. So There is, and, like, this mind. stuff seems to keep happening to Tom Petty, too, because, like, Petty and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Danny California is essentially the same exact thing as um, Mary, last, uh, Mary Jane's Last Dance. <laughs> yeah, and then there's another one, um, well, Breakdown by Petty, is really similar to, and I'm going to forget it, it was, like, a pop song popular last year. This was in the news. Oh, I, I gotta figure it out. Filibuster. Well, an, another another example of that is on Frank Ocean's first mixtape, Nostalgia Ultra. He had a song called American Wedding, and it was basically it sampled Hotel California by the Eagles, and uh, the Eagles actually were going to sue Frank Ocean, and he's like, "Dude, this was so clearly just a sample. You can't sue me. I'm not making money off this. It's a free mixtape." Like. Fuck off! And basically, nothing came of it. So, I think it was. I think it was actually "Stay with Me" by Sam Smith. That's what I'm finding. I remember oh, it being a song you wouldn't right. think that of. Sounds right. Because that song's a lot slower, but the progression is similar and the melody is similar. Point is, and any songwriter who like isn't a dick would just tell would admit this to you. There's only so many chord progressions. They've all been used like count. There, there are a few like the EAB you mentioned, which is like just a one four five progression. Or like the C to A minor, F, G, which you can do either of those in any key. Those have been used thousands of times across like probably hundreds or thousands of bands. So you can only do so much with it. And any songwriter will tell you, your product, your songwriting is a product of all the music you grew up listening to. So it doesn't really make sense. No one has like a truly original, you didn't make up a chord. You didn't make up really a progression. This is songwriter slash guitarist Jake flexing his composer muscles right here. I like it. I Uh, like it. they're weak muscles. They're un, they're un, they're unused uh, muscles. Um, we quickly wanted to go over our progress on our year-long over-unders that we started to do back at the beginning of the year. So if you don't recall, yeah. you'll remember that we had a bunch of different criteria. You'll, re- you'll remember is probably the wrong way to phrase it because this was like from episode like three or four. That's true. When pro- – like – like six of the eight listeners weren't listening yet. That's true. So what we did is we had a bunch of different criteria and Jake and I went through and we said, I think we're going to have over this number. So I'll give you an example. We said 
over or under one and a half new Drake beefs. So do we think he's going to have two Drake beefs? If so, we went over. If not, we went under. So we're just going to run through some of these so far because we're actually a quarter of the way through the year so far. So we figured it'd be good to do that. So the first one we have is over or under 48 and a half best new musics from Pitchfork. And do you course, have a tally for what I do, I do. We have 15 so far. I'm a quarter feeling, of the way through a year. I'm feeling okay-ish. That, that would mean that... You went under, by the way. I know I did. I that, went over. I'm feeling great. Yeah, we had kind Dude, of... Dude, we still have May coming, which we're going to get like six best new musics in May. We kind of an influx recently. I and yeah, I do, don't. And it's for albums you like didn't see coming at all. No, and don't think that I haven't been monitoring this and <laughs> yeah. knowing that I went yeah. under... I, dude, I still Stick think sweating this one. No, out. because I still think there's always the December lull, and and I feel like I just I don't know. I feel confident in my under. We're 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 projected to go over that number now. It's gonna be close, I think. I think it's gonna be close, and I don't. I, I mean, neither of us. It's not. We picked a hard number. I think. Here's a fun one: five and a half, nine point zero or above pitchfork scores do we have any yet we have one it's it's kanye right and it was kanye at a 9.0 i went over on this you went under i'm not feeling good how many did what was the number again? five and a half i feel okay about this i one. would too i don't think we're gonna get more than I, that. I feel all right about they've this been stingy one. with their scores lately a lot of them have been in that like 8.4 range yeah they have and um i'm feeling good about the under yeah. on that i feel okay um we're gonna skip this two and a half five star rolling stone review one because i don't think they've had any yet we haven't also even followed we haven't up. really been following along the drake beefs one so we said one and a half new drake beefs we don't have a drake beef yet this year do we not or have, do we, we just miss one no no the one with meek mill is like kind of just continue it's the same as one. like a cold it's, war it's that a one, one doesn't count though yeah okay so we're still at zero who, who what did we take on that one uh you went over, I went under. So I'm feeling ah, good. Damn. I'm feeling good. Maybe when his album drops, people will, like give him shit for some of the yeah. songs. Well, speaking of his album coming out, we had the next one. It was also Drake related. It was 287 million listens on a single Drake song on Spotify. We both took an under on this. We both it? went under. Which, right, right now, the only one that's close is Summer 16 at 50 million. Well, what we were talking about, dude, was was a new song going that's, beating Hotline Bling. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay, got you. Got Summer 16 has been the only new song got so you. far. Okay. Album is coming out at the end of April. Yeah. However, it's going to be an Apple exclusive. So... Is it, uh, <coughs> I'm drinking water and I Unprofessional. Choke. You know what that sounded unprofessional. like? Unprofessional. Actually, that probably sounds good for the listeners. What that probably sounds like is I did a spit take. It probably sounds <laughs> like you were like, butt Jake... Bum, bum, bum. It'll be an Apple exclusive. And I spit my water across the room because I was shocked and appalled. In truth, I choked on like an ice cube. Um, but, <laughs> so I don't, it's, Apple exclusive? That sucks. Yeah, I didn't even need like that. He's asking people to pirate that, that album. Yeah. Not saying I will. Wink, wink. But what was that? You just said wink, wink out loud. Not saying I will, Jake. Wink, wink. But. He did, there it is again, so. Anyways, Summer 16 is the only one close at 50 million, and it probably won't beat that because who knows if the songs will even be on Spotify. 287 is a lot, too. And it, that's a ton. Um, two left, 45 minutes in length, over or under for the new Kanye album. We both went over on this, and we both nailed it by a lot. This is a over an hour long album, and we're it's reaping the rewards. Long. Although, who knows, man? He might pull back some tracks. That's true. This is one that would give Vegas fits. What That's would they true. do with this? This is a constantly shifting line. Because they've like, 
have they already paid people out? Or are they like, wait a minute, we got to wait until this is finalized? Maybe they never get paid out. And if I bet on this, if I actually bet, I, I'd be like constantly stressed. You know what I think? Because Kanye would... tomorrow could decide, oh, The Life of Pablo is a one-track song album now. You know what I think they they did as soon as they got word that this was a constantly evolving thing? They just were like, no, we're refunding everybody. We're counting this as like a push. It would make and sense. And you're just getting your money back. We're do you not think paying there, anybody Do you out. think there was anywhere you could bet on something like that? I think we might have just discovered a real business opportunity for music industry betting. We're going to become music books. That's right. Okay. That's right. Uh, and the final one, seven days notice, over or under, for the announcement of Radiohead's album before it comes out. So are we going to get a week, or are we just going to get it sprung on us without any word? And the watermark from last time to beat was four days. <laughs> That's we got, right. We got four days for King of Limbs. Notice. You went over... I went under. We still have no word on this new album yet. There's really so no way to gauge who's who's more in the clear on this one. We're waiting with bated breath. Though. We are. Uh, so that's our over-unders so far this year. We'll probably be back again uh, in Q3. Q3. To talk about progress again. Uh, yeah. So before we dive into our uh, favorite album closers of all time, which is what this episode is about... We wanted to talk about some new releases really quickly. Um, the first one that we wanted to talk about was Frightened Rabbit. So this Scottish band is back for their fifth album. It's called Painting of a Panic Attack. A was, very Frightened Rabbit album title. And if you look at the, the track names on it, they're all very Frightened Rabbit track names too. Yeah. Like Death Dream, I Wish I Was Sober. An otherwise disappointing life, like it's just, it's so frightened rabbit. It's all a little literary. It sounds like sentences that could like be from Hemingway's autobiography or something, <laughs> right. you know. So they're back again. Aaron Desner of the National actually produced this album, and I think you can really hear his impact on it because there's a lot of those horns in the background and like lush arrangements that you hear on National records that you're getting on this frightened rabbit one. You didn't really get that before on some of their past albums. Uh, but overall, this is a, I, if you are a Frightened Rabbit fan or you like a band like The National, you will like this record. Um, if you haven't listened to them before, I would say check out Midnight Organ Fight, which is their second album. came out in 2007. It's probably their best. Uh, I, as a Frightened Rabbit fan myself, I really do like this album. It's probably their third best behind... Midnight Organ Fight, and then Pedestrian Verse, and then this one, I would say. As someone just getting into Frightened Rabbit, who's now listened to this album a few times, I like it. I, uh, I, I'm I enjoying it, and I think that, like you said, like the national connection helps. It does have that sort of, it's that sad rock kind of mm -hmm. vibe. Um, it's enjoyable, and it, it's a big sounding record. Um, one just stray thought I had about it is, and I don't know how you feel, I like a lot of their album covers. I don't really like this album cover. It, kind of a gross. I don't like it either. Dreary I like, looking. I like all of their other ones. The thing is, this album cover, and for anybody who doesn't know, it's just like this big monolith, like rock formation in like a field. However, it looks too like fake. It looks yeah. really like overproduced. It looks like something of, out of like a, a video game. Yeah, I don't like it. It doesn't look really like what I think they sound like. It would have been better served to like go find a picture like that in nature and just use the photograph rather yeah. than like whatever like graphics they used yeah but. I want to jump to the next album yeah which is or did you have a different one you wanted to no, go with no no because I no. want to go with Parquet Courts their new album which is uh, what's it called Human something Human Performance mm -hmm. Human Performance so I've been really really enjoying this record 
And shout out to Josh Gregoire, big, big friend of the friend of the pod. Big that was an emphatic big friend Huge of the pod. Huge friend of the pod. I didn't even see it coming from across the room. Sean just like <laughs> leapt out of his chair to say that. Um this I really enjoy this record. So with Parquet Courts, um I had never really gotten into their previous releases. I've listened to a couple of their other their previous albums like a few times. Sunbathing Animal a few times. Whatever that first one was with like the rodeo guy on the cover a few times. Um, but I, I definitely, this one's going to stick with me through the year. Josh, I missed my point when Sean emphatically leapt from his seat, um, says that this is now his favorite album of the year so far. And, and, and so it's, it's not mine, but here's what I would say is it is climbing the ranks for me and I really, really enjoy it. And I know you have a different take. Hot take alert coming through. Woo. Uh, so Parquet Courts, good, solid band. Good band. I, too, you know, I listen to Light Up Gold. I listen to some of their other stuff, their older albums. They're fine. They get a ton of critical love. Um, they're basically the pavement of 2016. See, but here's the thing, though. You say that, and I've seen you compare them to pavement, and there's a definite comparison there. Yeah. They do some other stuff, though. I don't Dude, know. They're someone... pavement of 2016. Dude. They're, doing the, they're doing the same shit. They're really not. They're doing the exact same no, shit. No, it's not the exact same thing. The... The sounds, they're, they're, first of all, if you listen to the song like a Berlin Got Blurry or something, like that riff-based stuff, they're a little more complex. They have a garagey sound and like kind of a lo-fi production They do the same on. like flat vocal, like they, almost spoken delivery, right, which I find so boring. I, okay, I really, really enjoyed this record, and I actually really like Pavement. And so this has been a, a, a going debate. Oh, Sean, yeah, yeah. Sean so has been I, I've unrelenting. Made my, I've made it my like personal, like, like purpose in life to say that pavement and bands that sound like pavement are overrated. Uh, and I think, you know what? I'm going to keep banging this drum, Jake, because Parquet Courts, bands like Proto Martyr, who are also like critically loved, they're more like a punk thing, though, than, than pavement is. They're more doing like a punk thing than pavement does. Dude, like, hey, look, don't get me wrong. I don't hate this album. It's decent. I, I think it, there's songs that are definitely enjoyable. For example, like B Berlin Got Blurry. But and even uh, Dust, the this opening is a, track. This is a band that is trying to sound and does sound tighter than Pavement, though. They have, like, their aesthetic and their whole thing is more put together. Pavement's thing was, like, that they sounded like they kind of just slopped these songs together in the moment. Like, to me... Uh, a band like Parquet Quartz is pretty, like, I know the vocal delivery is similar and there's some lo-fi production. To me, they're not, like, ripping Pavement off wholesale. No, but they sound like them. They have a similar, they're, some of the aesthetic choices are similar. I don't think they're, like, the same band. Look, all I know is, look, th this is a decent album. There's some enjoyable songs on here. When I get to songs like One Man No City. I like that song. I'm just like, I want this album to be over. I'm yeah. bored. I, I'm we bored. Just, we disagree. I don't know, man. I really have been enjoying it. And I, you know what? I'm giving a voice to all the people out there who read reviews of Parquet Courts records and Proto Martyr records and Pavement records, and they're like, I don't get it. Like, I, you know, like, I, am I wrong for not, like, thinking what all the critics are thinking, too? You're not wrong. You just like a little bit different things, and that's okay. You don't need to love Parquet Courts yeah. or these other pavement ripoffs. Well, no, but like that stuff doesn't just apply to like that doesn't just apply to bands that sound like this. For example, like I don't like Beach House as much as you and like some of our other friends do. Like, like because I think so, like their two recent albums I thought were good. Yeah, and like that's a similar thing where like they they there's definitely a brand of music that sounds like that. You know what I mean? And like they do this thing where like they always sound 
the same. And and like, if you're not like totally into it, there is that alienating feeling of like, why does everyone get it but me? There is, and you get really defensive about it too, yeah. because you're like, no, I don't want to be the one who's like wrong or out in the cold about this or on the right. outside looking in. All I'm saying is, it's this. This has been the case for me with so many bands that sound like this. I can't get on board. I'm I'm kind of bored by them, and I would rather listen to a lot of different stuff before this. I can see why people like it and why it's quote unquote good. It's just not f- totally for me. I all I'll say to to wrap it up, and I is that I I really like like Berlin got blurry. Dust is a good song. I like that Spotify uh, exclusive song, the first track that's on there. I actually really enjoy that one. And as I was listening through, because I've had the similar experience to you, where like as I listened to past pavement, uh, not pavement, past um, w- w- parquet courts, parquet courts, another P uh, records. As I get through them, I'm like I was in the same boat where I, I didn't really care to finish, or like I was kind of tired of it, <laughs> and I got. I thought the aesthetic got old or whatever. I don't know, man. I think with this one, I'm feeling a different thing, and I've like been really enjoying it. I don't know if I'm just more open to that sound now than I used to be. I will say I've liked this album the best so have out I. of any of their other ones. So have I. I'm not like loving it, though. But anyway, let's move on. Um, we have just a couple more we want to really quickly talk about. So Lumineers came out with a new album. Uh, their album that came out a couple years ago that had Hey Ho on it was really, really good. Better than what you would just expect. from You you would expect them to be like a one-hit wonder band. They're not. They have a really a lot of good songs on that album. They came back again this year. Their album is called uh, Cleopatra. It's good. It's got another collection of just like solid folky songs on it. That's how I feel about it, too. We can move on to Teen Suicide. Um, it's the big joyous celebration. Let's, Let's stir, stir the, the honey pot is the name of this record. Um, so... <laughs> This album is like a hour ten ish long sort of emo noise epic. Um, really interesting album. It's been one of the ones that I keep revisiting, and there's just there's a lot to find here. There's like sort of poppier songs. There's some that are more like electronic sounding. It sounds like they recorded some of this album on just cassette. Yeah. And there's like these weird blips and 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 like spots where the cassette gives out. Very weird aesthetic on this album, but I've been enjoying it. The way that you describe that to people as like an emo, noise, lo-fi, noise rock album sounds... I bet they're just like, I'm skipping that one. They <laughs> Especially because be... it's 26 songs and over an hour long. Yeah, they might be fast-forwarding it now. I will say, though, that this is a good album. It's very good. It actually has one of my favorite lyrics of 2016. Here we go. <laughs> which <laughs> refers to something we were just talking about. The lyric goes... Is pavement were a decent ba- band, but you don't got to sound like them. Well, and here's the thing, Sean. I'm not reopening Pandora's box, but I am because that lyric, it's fine. It's a good lyric, but you could say it about anything. Dude, the fight, you the could, good fight. No, you could say it about anything. You could be like, oh, the, that's what the replacements in the Clash did about the Beatles. It doesn't make the Beatles shitty just because like one punk band was like, oh, you don't have to sound like this band. It's like, dude, pavement has done a lot more than than Teen Suicide, who I like. <laughs> And whose album I'm enjoying. But it does stick in my craw when bands are like, oh, we're this these up-and-comers. We're going to, like, shit all over these established bands. Dude, I think they just kind of see the same things as I do. They're seeing the music join... industry in the world for what it is, what? Jake, and it, it's a lot of pavement rip-off bands. <sighs> because they're like, oh, pavement gets their dick sucked by critics all the time, so we're going to sound just like them. Hey, man. I th- okay, with Parquet Quartz, I think they're doing some interesting things that are not just pavement rip-offs. <laughs> This is bubbling to the surface. Uh, yes. We need to move on. We um, have to move on. 
We could do a whole show about that. Uh, M83 is the last one. Their new album, Junk. It's the follow-up to their 2011 smash hit, Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. So I'm getting the sense that Anthony Gonzalez, the the mastermind behind uh, M83, had a bit of a Kurt Cobain heel turn on this album where he was like, I'm going to do some different things uh, and kind of alienate that audience I built with the more poppy-sounding Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. So this is his in utero? Yeah, but it's nowhere near as good because this album is called Junk, and I think it's aptly named because uh, it's kind of a mess. It's kind of all over the place. It, there's some decent things there. If you like this type of music or you like M83, you'll probably find some redeeming qualities about this album. I'm just not super into it. Um, and, you know, if if you've been debating listening to this, I would say it's not totally worth your time. Well, that's what we can explore right now as we play Listener Skip with Jake because Jake, being me has not listened to this album yet. And so, Sean, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll flip it on you. Should I listen to this album or skip it? This is a skip. This is a skip. This is a skip for all the things I just said. And it's like, if you don't like M83 to begin with, really, this is not the album to listen to. I don't dislike M83. I didn't listen to Hurry Up, We're Dreaming that much. I liked that Midnight City song. Um, like, it's, it's good. And I'm sure there's some stuff on here that's worth listening to, but it's 55 minutes long. If you're going to listen to an M83 album, listen to Hurry Up, We're Dreaming all the way, all the way through a few times. It, that will be a better use of your time than listening to this album. And to follow up, on the last listener skip we did, which was the new Macklemore album, I haven't made, made good on my promise <laughs> to listen yet. You said skip, which was true, and yeah, so dude, far... I've, I'm just I've, being honest. So far I've lied. I'm just being honest. I, I, I'll go back. I, my word is my bond, Sean, so I'll listen <laughs> yeah, to that. Yeah, dude, because this is, this is like Westeros. This is like <laughs> yeah. Game of Thrones. It's a lot like it. Um, Alright, so let's move into the main portion of the episode, which is to talk about the best album closers of all time. So two weeks ago, we did the best album openers of all time, which you can check out on our SoundCloud page or on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, So we had a really good conversation about that. We realized that there are a ton of great openers. There was actually a few too many to even pack into the show. And Um, we ran a poll on Twitter afterward that asked, and not really that many people answered, which is to be expected because I don't think that many people really pay attention to our Twitter. This is this is pity party, Jake coming out. There's a, if You can't hear the violin playing. But there were a lot we missed, Sean, and amongst those were... Yeah, we had Intro by the XX, which is actually my favorite XX song that we didn't mention. Just uh, instrumental, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Uh, Baba O'Reilly by The Who, we didn't mention, which that's... That's a pretty big uh, that like almost misstep by us. It is. It well, dude. But like the thing is, we were talking about so many, we couldn't get to all of them. But yeah. Bob O'Reilly is like the epitome of an opener. We also didn't discuss "Debaser" by the Pixies, which That's I knew right. we both wanted to talk about because like that is an incredible song, and it's. I don't know where it falls in the in the different buckets of openers, but that's not why we're here today. We're not here to talk about openers. That's a couple uh, couple ones we're adding in that we we messed up or we missed last time. Yeah, so we wanted to run it back and do a similar thing with the best album closers. So what Jake and I did is we brainstormed a bunch of great ones, uh, and then we kind of came up with these buckets uh, of categories for album closers, much like we did for album openers. So. We we have a few different um, categories that we want to talk about. We have like the just the kind of one minute outro. We have the the somber look back at the album. 
We have like the final statement piece. We have the epic sounding song. We have the secret track. So there's a lot of different categories to talk about with this. Um, and I think we can just start it off with with talking about really... Closers in general. And I think one point I wanted to make as I was listening. So as with the opener discussion we um, we had, with this one we made a, uh, on the Listen In Podcast playlist, um, kind of a mouthful to say that playlist title, um, we added a bunch of these, two, a bunch of the closers we're going to talk about today onto that playlist. And as I was listening, um, I noticed a couple things. One is that closers by nature are longer songs. Just like, because I, I was listening to it as a playlist, this is not as good a playlist to listen to as a playlist. Because closers, you got songs like, and we'll talk to, about these in some more depth, but you got like Desolation Row by Dylan, 11 minutes. Jungle Land by Bruce Springsteen, that's nine and a half. Then, you know, you got songs that like span usually five, six minutes up. And, and I think the reason is, is that um, a lot of closers, sort of the point of them is to serve as this like sort of anthemic, epic wrap up or culmination or like it's a, the conclusion to an album, especially on concept albums or on like the, the albums you traditionally think of as legacy sort of great albums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting thing that you bring up that it's not as good of a playlist to listen to. Because I think not only because these songs are long, I think it's harder for last songs on an album to just be good standalone songs. I think a big part of why they work so well is because in the context of the album, when you get to this last song, it is so kind of in lockstep with what's happening on the album, that's what makes it great. Not necessarily that it's an individual great song. It usually has something to do with an emotional payoff. Part of what I was noticing as I was listening to them is that as I'm going through this playlist, I just threw it on shuffle. I kept felt I kept feeling like, you know, inappropriately so, I was reaching the end of something, and it was this weird sort of, especially if you've listened to it in the context of the album enough times. The other thing is that usually on a on an album in the sort of batting order to use the analogy we used last time the the hits on the record usually it'll be like the first track or it'll be like in the three or four slots so usually it's in the first half like the real hits and there are obvi- there's obviously exceptions and there are exceptions where the closer is a hit mm-hmm. but i think by and large if we're looking at the great albums of all time and what they do with closers it does have this feeling where like when you're listening at the time you're like i love this song there are fewer songs that are closers that you want to listen to as one-offs. I think that's the whole thing. I I would agree, because I was also listening to this playlist on Shuffle. I was skipping so many songs. So was I. I was just like, no, I'm not feeling that right now. Because I was like, do I want to listen to 11 and a half minute Sad-Eyed Lady Lady of the Lowlands right now? No. Let me throw on Blonde on Blonde, and after an hour-long journey, I'll be feeling (laughs) it. Right, exactly. Not right now. So I think that's a good place to start with with album closers, is let's talk about epic closers yeah these are songs that are like in the seven to eight to 15 minute range well i think it's appropriate that we started with dylan because we did that last time so if if you look at highway 61 revisited um arguably his best record some people would say blonde on blonde which we'll get to as well but on highway 61 he starts with like a rolling stone and then dylan closes with the 11 minute desolation row which is an acoustic sort of like epic abstract poem with these fantasy and fictional characters thrown in. It's sort of a fever dream of a song. Um, tough one to listen to on its own. It's actually, I, it, it's weird because it's actually my favorite song on the album 
I don't know that I would just throw it on, though. No, it works best in the context of the album at the end, kind of like what I was saying before. It's interesting if you look at Dylan's discography in general, and, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll let's stick to, like, kind of that big three of Dylan albums where you have sure. Blonde on Blonde, Bringing It All Back Home, Highway 61. He brings it with all three of those. So you mentioned Desolation Row at 11 minutes. Blonde on Blonde, he has another 11-minute 11, 11 epic with Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. And then on Bringing It All Back Home, he has It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, which is one of his, I would say, one of his most recognizable and popular songs. And one of his most like immediately sad songs. Mm -hmm. And uh, definitely doing different things than Sad-Eyed Lady or Desolation Row. Um, the thing that works so well about a song like Desolation Row or Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands, particularly with Desolation Row, I'm thinking, is that for an album like Highway 61 that's so packed with allusions to like literature and to and just this abstract imagery it wraps it up in just this sort of mellow but long epic it feels like this like drawn out sort of coda to a it's almost like you could see it as the montage at the end of the mm. of if this album was a movie mm -hmm. i don't know if that applies with sad eyed lady what do you think Sad-Eyed Lady is a little more straightforward because yeah. it's about his his estranged wife, exactly. Sarah, uh, which he actually references in another album closer on Desire. Yeah. He references on Sarah. He, writing Sad-Eyed Lady the Lowlands yeah, for you. Yeah, uh, he goes Awake for Days in the Chelsea Hotel writing Sad-Eyed Ladies of the Lowlands for you, which I think is a great lyric. Uh, but yeah, it's a little more straightforward. There are those literary references, like he's referencing Cannery Row yeah. and like some of these other things. Let me ask you this. Was he trying to go back to the Desolation Row well when he was writing Sad-Eyed Lady? Was he like, I want to do another 11-minute epic? That's a really good question. Um, I think you could argue he was. The cool story about Sad-Eyed Lady, and this doesn't really answer your question because I don't feel like I know an answer, but the cool story about Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands is, unlike Desolation Row, which is just him and his guitar pretty much and like another guitarist playing along little solos, Sad-Eyed Lady has like a full band accompaniment, and on that song, he in classic Dylan fashion, I can see him just like finishing a joint, and he's like, "All right, now we're gonna play this song," and he <laughs> starts in on "Sad Eyed Lady." The band didn't know it was eleven minutes long. <laughs> they like they just like kept going. Like, oh, here we go, some more, <laughs> and like so they went on for like this this epic song. And so like I'm sure I can just see the organ player like seven minutes in, like, "All right, this must be wrapping up soon." <laughs> like, no, dude, you got four and a half minutes to go. I always thought that was a hilarious, that very is really, Dylan really story. Funny. Um, yeah, and so I think that, like you said, there's more of that illusion, and it is more of a straightforward song lyrically. But and, and maybe it does. I used to wonder that myself with like because Blonde on Blonde is the very next album after yeah. Highway 61, and uh, you know maybe he was trying to recapture some of that magic. I don't know. And yeah. I think it works though. Both of those oh, songs stand on their own. Totally works. Uh, so let's talk about a couple other really long epics. So this is an album we've mentioned a lot. We don't really need to go into it a ton, but. Uh, Titus Andronicus, their album The Monitor, yeah. ends with The Battle of Hampton Road, which is 14 minutes long. Yeah. This is another epic. It is. It's And it's, you know, just another really, really good song on that album. I Like, that whole record, the funny thing is, is like, as it, like, really should, I actually, I really can't hear that song in my head right now, because when I listen to that album, 
it's so just straight played through. Mm-hmm. If you played it right now, I could like probably sing along. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like just seeing the song title and like the length, I can't immediately place it, which actually speaks well to the concept album structure. It does, for sure. Uh, another, and this is the longest one on our list, by the way, is Impossible Soul by Sufjan Stevens. This is the closer to the age of ads. Uh, this, I love this song. This is actually one of my favorites on that album. It has like... <laughs> eight different parts to it probably maybe not that many but it has like five or six different parts how long is it it's 25 minutes long because i haven't listened to that record 25 25 minutes long doesn't feel that long though dude that's getting into that's longer than like the second half of in a silent way which is because like last time we joked that that miles davis album with two songs on it has an opener and a closer That's that's even longer um another long one is uh, what I mentioned before, Jungle Land by, uh, by Bruce. Yep, almost uh, 10 minutes. That is, I think of all of those songs on there that we just talked about, I think that might be the most epic. It has those strings that are, that are introing it. It's all about like, um, like the, the, uh, what is the, he's got like weird character about, like, names. Bands going out and fighting with it's guitars. Like, yeah. It's like, the, it, it's, it's the actually. Ma- the, uh, it's about like Magic Rat. It, there's like all you, Dylan, do, uh, not Dylan, uh, Springsteen does this. A Freudian this. slip there. Yeah, because Dylan does this too, but Springsteen always has these crazy character names that he packs into all these songs. Yeah, and it's, like, it's a lot to keep up with. Jungle Land is no exception. And no. It's like this, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's just like this story of, of like, yeah, like people fighting in the streets. It's like, it, I listened to it today and like the impression I got is it's about like musicians. It's like kind of like they're gangs, but they're bands. It's kind of like, they like West Side Stories, but like uh, with like rock music instead. Yeah. yeah, another long one as we, to stop that, my <laughs> my horrible reading of Jungle Land is um, Shine On You Crazy Diamond Part 2. Which so it's interesting with Pink Floyd because um, if you look at Wish You Were Here, it ends with Shine On You Crazy Diamond Part Two, or is it like parts two through something? Yeah, it's like two through whatever six. it is. It's it's the it's the second half you hear on the record because you get Shine On You Crazy Diamond and then you get um, what is it? It's like uh, Have a Cigar. Wish You Were Here, and then there's uh, Welcome to the Machine. Those are the three in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then it's bookended by another epic, long, Shine On You Crazy Diamond. It's interesting. They did the exact opposite with Animals, which we can get into also if we want. But th- with Animals, they bookended it with the two little pigs on the wing, mm-hmm. um, two-and-a-half-minute acoustic songs. And in the middle, they had three 17, 15, and, like, 10-minute songs. Yep. So Floyd did some interesting things. with, yeah. uh, and, and that's another thing is, like, they're very much like Springsteen is – about Roger Waters specifically is all about figuring out like lyrical themes and having these like that animals is all about animal farm and like it's all this this whole thing about applying animal farm to capitalism or something like that it's like these crazy overarching literary themes yeah you want to talk about themes how about the doors with their closer to their their first album the doors just being called the end and this is an almost 12 minute song of Jim Morrison just doing wacky shit. Basically doing whatever he wants on the mic. <laughs> yeah. For, uh, over, like, sort of a dark-sounding, <laughs> yep. like, the rest of the band playing along. Sounds almost like a jam, maybe? I think there's, like, there's a structure there. It's actually been a long time since I've listened to this album, which gives credence to the idea that it's, like, the ultimate teenager album. Yeah. Because a lot of people love this record when they're in high school and stuff, and I feel like people don't go back to it. I haven't listened to The Doors at being the album in a long time. I think you might just burn yourself out on it. Well, and there's the whole... 
it's played on the radio so much, like Light My Fire and uh, Break On Through and songs like that. You know what I found? And this is a really quick tangent. I never realized as a kid, there's a lot of Doors haters out there. A lot of people, like, critically and otherwise, who, like, are not in on the Doors, I've noticed. Hmm. People will, like, shit on them. Other thing, as a kid, this song, The End, that we're talking about, um, the whole part about uh, Mother, I want... He, he basically, like, he's, he just says the Oedipus thing. Yeah. And yeah. the whole there's a whole part where he's just saying, fuck, fuck, <laughs> Yeah, fuck, it's actually fuck, really funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's that whole part. And as a kid, as a 14, 15-year-old, I was like, ooh, this is... Jim Morrison's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like... You crazy for this one, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another That's another long one. It is, yeah. So some of the other categories that we wanted to talk about. So those are those oh, are some of those epics. Before, because we before we do this again to the Who. Oh yeah. <laughs> so last time we forget Bob uh, O'Reilly. Poor Pete Townsend. First track on Who's Next, their best album and one of my favorite albums. It ends with Won't Get Fooled Again, another epic, eight yeah. and a half minutes long. Yep. Really great song. Sorry, The Who. Which one do you like better? Do you like Won't Get Fooled Again or do you like Bob O'Reilly? Bob O'Reilly, hands down. Me too. And I actually think Bob O'Reilly would have worked better as a closer and won't, won't well actually maybe not because i love that keyboard I do too. waking up the album i think it's yeah. perfect as an opener yeah i you think you're right yeah. I, I love that. won't get fooled again is a great song it is uh so yeah let's talk about some of these other categories yeah, that we let's have do it. so we had the epic let's talk secret tracks jake because this is an interesting dichotomy of album closers so, so you could have like the actual closer and then, but wait a minute, we have this secret track that's coming on like a few minutes later. Which one is the real closer in that context? It's, I think it differs depending on how you want to think about it. Like, for as an example, I was uh, looking earlier at uh, The Suburbs by Arcade Fire, and I was like, oh, Sprawl 2 should be on here. And it's not really a hidden track, The Suburbs Part 2, but it's but it kind of it, it fits in that mold of like a song that is the afterthought to this like epic song. And maybe what you're talking more about is songs like Her Majesty on Abbey Road, where, like, yeah, exactly where it ends with about. the end medley, yep. which is this like epic sweeping sort of send-off to the Beatles, and then you wait... 20 seconds and Her Majesty comes in and it's just Paul on an acoustic guitar. It, it's almost like the Beatles were like, yeah, we can't take ourselves that seriously. Like, here's yeah. here's this little tongue-in-cheek thing. Because ultimately they were a band with a pretty good sense of humor. Like, they were fun. And I think that they knew how self-serious that back half of Abbey Road was. Yeah, there's a couple examples of, of like, true secret tracks I want to talk about. So one of them is Something in the Way by Nirvana, which closes out Nevermind. There's that secret track, Endless Nameless, which is just like some like screaming from, from Kurt. Uh, I don't know if the version of the album I had has you that. You might not. It, it is on Spotify. It's just, it's on the version of the album that I had as a kid, like the actual CD. Something in the Way was a 20-minute song, and it was just like 11 minutes of, of silence. I remember that now. And I remember Endless that Endless Nameless popped up around like the 17-minute mark or something It's like possible that. I never got to it. Yeah, because that's the whole thing about like truly hidden tracks, right? Um, is that um, you 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 if you may never get to it if you have like a CD player and you're just impatient and you skip past it. Yep, kind of like how you might miss our little segments at the end of episodes if that's you don't right. wait out the exit music. That's right. Uh, another one is motion picture soundtrack by Radiohead at the end of Kid A. That one has a, a secret like. It's not really a track. It's just like a flourish so, of the synths again. Yeah, it's so, just it's basically the sounds you heard on the song kicking back in for a little bit longer. Here's a really interesting one. This is a song that you wouldn't think is a secret track at all, 
but Train in Vain by The Clash. When this album originally came out, when London Calling originally came out, the the album sleeve actually ended with Revolution Rock. Really as interesting. As the last song on the album. Uh, and then they just stuck Train in Vain on there at the end. Which That's... ended up being like the biggest single from that album. Yeah, uh, it, in like one of their most popular songs. It was the only song where the first time I listened through London Calling, I was like, oh, I know this song. Right. It was the only one where I was like, I've definitely heard this. Other than that, it's all songs by The Clash you haven't heard on the radio. Yep. That's really interesting, yeah. and I actually didn't know that. It totally makes sense, because thematically it's kind of off. Yeah, I is. love that song. I, like, I would, I'm happy it's on the record, but um, when you listen through London Calling, you're, like Train in Vain definitely feels off. It's just sort of a simple, straight-ahead, like, kind of forlorn love like love song yep. it, and uh yeah yeah so that one falls into both the secret track category as well as the outlier uh category well that's what well. i was gonna do is i was prepared to categorize that one as more of an outlier yep. but I, I didn't realize it was a, a hidden track that's really interesting yeah yeah and definitely an outlier so what what are some of your other favorite outliers uh for think. closers uh, because I think Bound 2 by Kanye yeah. West at the end of Yeezus could fit into that. That one is kind of uh, his back going back to his soul days of sampling and stuff that you would have heard on late registration or college dropout, which is really different from kind of the industrial, heavy, aggressive sounds you're getting on the rest of that record. That's a really, really good example. Um, a couple examples that jump out to me, if you look at The Tallest Man on Earth with um, his first record, it's not so much a thematic or lyrical outlier, but Kids on the Run is sonically, like in terms of the instruments he's playing on it, because it's a piano song as opposed to a, an acoustic uh, guitar song, um, Kids on the Run is a little bit of an outlier on that album, because you get to the end and... and uh, Oh, Christian Madsen's doing some piano stuff. Another one that I put on here, and this is a um, a guilty pleasure. Actually, no, I'm not going to say guilty pleasure. I love these albums. Yeah, talk, yep. Aerosmith, um, on their albums Rocks and Toys in the Attic, they uh, the songs You See Me Crying and Home Tonight are a couple um, ballads. After albums of like the dirtiest sort of grimy funk rock you'll you'll hear, um, just 70s drug crazed like rock music, and then you get these like tender ballads. At the end of the album. Definitely outliers. Yeah. So, speaking of, of rock band, the White Stripes are another one who yeah. always seem to be doing weird, different stuff at the end of their album. So, not so much on their first record, but on their second one, Day Still, they have this, like, southern kind of country blues song called Your Southern Can Is Mine. I actually really like this song a lot, but it's so different in tone than what you're getting on the rest of the album. What song wraps up White Blood Cells? Because that's not on uh, our Your Protector. Oh, okay, so not that So it's not that different, but, but when they come back on Elephant, yeah. you get, well, it's true that we love one another, which has Jack, Meg, and I don't even know who else. Holly something. Yeah, I, and I, it's like this call and response kind of song. Which is crazy. The lyrics of it are really weird. <laughs> it sounds like they like kind of were maybe improvising it or something because the yeah. rhymes are half-baked at best, <laughs> and they like and they don't make any coherent sense. Yeah. And like, there's one part where Jack rhymes. Uh, he says, I, "I gave that horse a carrot so he'd break your foot." <laughs> like, did you, like th that couldn't be anything. He like sat down and, "Oh yes, I'll write this." Or he did it, like specifically to be silly. 
Yeah, maybe it was meant to sound that way, but that's definitely an outlier on that album. That's, because a, that's a really, really silly song. I love it at the end of that record, though. That's the thing is like sometimes that's what you need because yep. uh, Elephant's not a particularly heavy, like in terms of like lyrical themes or whatever. You don't leave it feeling like weighed down by the weight of it or anything. But it's nice to have some levity at the end. It is. It's really because Jack White. One of the things he does well that I don't think people give him enough credit for is like he's quirky and really funny. Mm-hmm. He does. He like is an amusing character. Yeah, and they they kind of continue that theme on their their last two albums. So on Get Behind Me Satan, which is more of like a this is a more like piano-based album, I guess in general, but definitely. They have a song called I'm Lonely But I Ain't That Lonely Yet, and it's more of like a ballady kind of slowed down track from Jack White, which is, you know, not something that the White Stripes were always known for. They're more of that, like, just bluesy, hard rock sound. Yeah. Uh, so that's a bit of an outlier. And then, of course, on their last album, Icky Thump, the song Effect and Cause. I love that song. I really like it, too. It's another kind of, like, silly song. Yeah, it, it has that, I love that theme of theirs. And I like when bands develop themes for last tracks. Like, they have, they sort of, they're like, oh, maybe I'll go back to the well on that. Like, the funny little acoustic yeah. song. The effect and cause, definitely. Yeah. This is the one with, like, the Peter and Paul thing. Yes, yeah. I love those lines. Yep. What is it again? It's like you robbing, something about... It's like robbing Peter to pay Paul. To pay Paul. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. An- another one I wanted to bring up that's an outlier, and I, where is it? Okay, um, ACDC, Highway to Hell. The last track on this is one of my favorite songs they ever did, Night Prowler. Um, might not seem like an outlier totally, but it's actually this sort of slow, eerie, mood, blues-like rock song. Um, usually ACDC's just balls to the walls, like over the top, love them or leave them, they're just doing their thing. Night Prowler, I feel like they made a legitimate like kind of statement. It's not subtle, it's about like a serial killer and the lyrics are over the top. <laughs> yeah. But for ACDC, it's kind of subtle. There's yeah. like some mood there, there's a groove going on. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and that is, I mean, because... Yeah, ACDC, you don't think that they're like, they do a whole lot of different stuff. But in, in that regard for that song, I guess they get as different as they can. Oh, and it's not that you don't think they do a whole lot of different stuff. It's <laughs> that they don't. And they don't really give a shit. Like, they're just like, we're going to play four chords. We're going to end every song the same way. And it's going to be awesome. And, like, honestly, they're kind of right. But with Night Prowler, they, it's like around six minutes, I think. And it has just this like slow riff, a really tasteful solo from Angus Young, and like some some really like truly eerie, moody sort of themes throughout about murder and stuff. Like when I was a kid and I listened to Bon Scott's lyrics on this song, I used to feel like legitimately creeped out. Mm. Like there's that line where he's like, "You won't feel the steel till it's hanging out your back." That's like, right. Yeah. Like there's some. It's really. It's kind of a cool song. Yeah, it is. Um, let's talk about another category. This is like the outro song. That comes after like a like a a big like banger track. Um, it almost feels like that second to last song should have been the closer, and then this is one where you're just kind of collecting yourself as you like slowly exit the album. Right, and I think is this the category we said that um, Death Cab for Cutie falls Death into? Death Cab does this a lot. Yeah. So if you look at um, their album Plans, the second to last song on that is Brothers on a Hotel Bed, which is arguably one of the best on that album. Um, just like an emotional gut punch on, on, on that song. And then it wraps up with a Stable Song, which yeah. I think is like one of the most forgettable on the album. It's a slightly weak Death Cab song. It's just like this slow and, outro. And then if you look at Transatlanticism, you get even more of a banger with track 10 out of 11, which is We Looked Like Giants. One of, like Probably one of their best songs, one of their most aggressive. 
Um, and then, you know, in fact, this is a better overall one-two punch because then you get a lack of color, yeah. which I love. Oh, Sta- I- Stable song is like whatever. It's still Death Cab. I'll still listen to it. I'll still enjoy it. Um, a lack of color, I would never skip. I wouldn't I, either. I love this. The, song. A lack of color is, I think, like maybe their best actual closer. Um, and I think what they were trying to do on plans was do a same similar type of theme where it's like, all right, we have this great song, second to last, and we're gonna close it out with kind of this like slow down acoustic take you out. And stable song just doesn't live up to the same. Uh, standard that that um, no, a lack of color did because a lack of color is true like truly emotionally wrenching yeah like it's very sad the part where he's like I'm reaching for the phone to call it 703 but on your machine I, I slur a plea for you to come home it's like Ben you're killing me dude you're making me so <laughs> yeah. sad right now yeah. another closer I wanted to bring up from Death Cab that really doesn't fall into that category at all is Stay Young Go Dancing just because I think that's a fun song. I like that it is. song. It's good. It's sad. It's sad now because that's actually, that was about Zoe Deschanel and you, about how happy he was to be married you, to her. You know what? Th- that song should have the parenthetical title uh, Dramatic Irony. <laughs> it, it really should because listening to it you're like, oh, it didn't work out for you, man. That, Zoe and you. That it, song makes me sad to listen to now it, for... For that reason. Me too, because really it's so sad. happy. It's like the first time where he was like, it felt like he was consciously like, you know what, I'm going to write this happy song. It's a little tongue-in-cheek. It's a little goofy, but whatever. Like, I'm in love. Yeah. And then it just fell apart under his feet. And then we got their most recent album, which is about about that. So Yeah, yep. Um, so there's another category. You had mentioned Arcade Fire before. Uh, I think I mislabeled them. I think what they do on, on, on their albums is they kind of do this somber look back at mm-hmm. the album. Uh, it doesn't really fall into that outlier territory. It doesn't really fall out into it fall into that coda outro song territory because these songs are actually very, very good on their own. Um, examples are In the Backseat on Funeral, which is like a beautiful song. Really it's beautiful. Really, I listened really to it before we did this. Uh, it's awesome. My Body is a Cage from Neon Bible as well. Like That, I think, is an example of we were trying to do In the Backseat again. Not as good, but still kind of doing the same thing. Well, and what I was trying to say before about um, uh, After Sprawl 2, what's the last track on Suburbs? It's like the, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a reprise. Sub, yeah, it's like Suburbs Part 2. I never know if like it's that. pronounced reprise or reprise. Um, but it's a, it's a similar thing where like with that song, it, it, I think you could argue it kind of falls into the category of the one that comes after a banger because Sprawl 2 is like... That's the huge, that's the giant song on that album. Yep. That's the one that's like the big statement. It has the huge vocal from, uh, what is it? Regine. Re- Regine. I always call her Renee. Regine. Um, and so that's why I categorized it thusly. Mm-hmm. How's that? How's, how's throwing thusly in there? I, I like how's it. How's that sit with you? I like it. <laughs> um, so how about this one, Jake? How about the songs that, they don't feel like a closer at all, and they could have just been another track on the album, because... This is interesting. While we have the epics and we have, you know, the outros and the outliers, those definitely feel like, oh, that's a last song. Yeah. There's certain ones where you, after a while of listening to an album, you're like, yeah, that's, of course, that's a last track. But if you take a step back, it really doesn't make sense as a last track. I have, I think, a quick example. So if you look at the Stones... The Rolling Stones, that's that's the Stones. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Moonlight Mile on Sticky Fingers, definitely feels like a closer. You look at You Can't Always Get What You Want on uh, Let It Bleed, definitely feels like a closer. Go to Some Girls, you got Shattered. I don't know shattered. if that feels so much like a closer. Shattered, shattered, feels, shattered like, feels like a second track to me. Sh- 
It totally does. The and second track. I kind of like that it's a closer. It feels like they're doing something different. That definitely feels like a heart of the lineup track. They throw Shattered last. Yeah, it's really do. interesting to me. I have one for you. Go ahead. A Certain Romance by Arctic Monkeys. And I, I bet there's people out there who are like, no, that's the perfect way to end whatever people say I am. It's a great closer. And it is. However, if you switch that song with something like... Um, you can put Riot Van Riot last. Riot Van last? Yeah. Or even like... You know, Marty from Bum. the Ritz to the Rubble or something yeah. like that. Like, if you switch any of those tracks, it's not going to make that big of a difference. So, I think that's a good example where it's not necessarily it, like an iconic closer, but it's still a great song. Looking through the, the sort of just the playlist we made here, I see New York Kiss by Spoon off They Want My Soul. It doesn't really feel totally like a closer. No, it feels it like just another actually. song it, it, off another. 100%. And that's the other kind of closer. So, you have the epics, you have the ones that sort of recapitulate themes i hope i use that word right um and then you have the ones that are just another good song i think a lot of the emo scene falls into that like if you look at just another song like if you look at joyce manor like heated swimming pool that's a closer and i guess it feels a little closer-ish off of um never hung over again does, but dude. that's the thing is that's because it's a closer that's the only reason i think that yeah. if you switched it with uh falling in love again if you switched it with any of the christmas card or something you could literally switch opener and closer on that album and i'd be like I, it, it, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, I don't know. So, and there are some bands that are more likely to do that. ACDC would be an example where, like, you they don't really have closers. Yeah. Night Prowler is the only example of one where they had one. So, two things before before we wrap up on closers. I wanted to specifically talk about Led Zeppelin because yeah. Zeppelin is a band who listen listen to the 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 last tracks they had on their the first, Murderers Row the first five albums. It is a Murderers Row. On Led Zeppelin 1, it ends with How Many More Times. On Zeppelin 2, Bring It On Home. On Zeppelin 3, this is an outlier. This is a perfect example of an outlier. Hats off to Roy Harper. Yeah, a, a weird, A weird track. Not a bad song, but a dud compared to those others. And then on Led Zeppelin 4, you have When the Levy Breaks. On pro- maybe the best of all closers ever. I mean, and maybe not, but you could argue like just in terms of like a song. Yeah. Dude. And then on on Houses of the Holy, their fifth album, it ends with The Ocean. So, like, you're getting four out of five of some of their best songs ever closing albums. Well, and and the thing is, is, like, it's almost with an album like Led Zeppelin 4, it's almost not even fair because that album is just, like, you could have ended it with almost any of those songs and it would have crushed it. Levy's the best one to to end the album because it has that sort of sad feel to it. I was going to ask you. Doesn't it make sense for for Stairway to end that album? And it, it always surprises me that it doesn't. I kind of like that it doesn't. It's this middle part of the album. It, sh- it shocks me that that's not the closer. On it the totally album. feels like a closer to me. Stairway to Heaven, absolutely. And I think that is evidence of like Zeppelin not really knowing what to do with that song. Yeah. Because like that's not something they'd done before. They've had like that's a long song. It's not their longest to that point. Even like how many more times is an is an example of a longer song. But they'd never done the slowed down, drawn out, epic builder. Like Stairway is the first example of that, and I feel like maybe that the the sort of paradigm, so to speak, of that being the closer, uh, wasn't set in stone yet. Maybe they didn't. To them, it might not have been such an obvious choice. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think Zeppelin is a, a good way to to discuss. Um, bands whose closers are hits, though. I asked what I wanted to bring up next is let's talk like the songs that can stand alone as all time great tracks, but are also closers. Because what I was thinking about on the way over is that there are far, far fewer of them. But, oh, yeah. One example I did find, and this is interesting, is off Elliot Smith's album Either Or. Um, you have Say Yes, I think it's called, right? Um, 
Yep. Yeah, Say Yes. That song is like, it's if you look on his Spotify, it's like number two, most listened to. So that's a closer that's like a standalone. I was going to say Train in Vain, which we already covered. I, I have a few for you. Grown Ocean by Fleet Foxes. Yep. That's one of their biggest songs. Gold Dust Woman by Fleetwood Mac to close out Rumors. That's oh, yeah. just a hit single from that. That's a radio staple. Yeah. That's an absolute radio staple. And then Voodoo Child, Slight Return by Jimi Hendrix to close off Electric Ladyland. Yeah, and that's an interesting closer because it totally it doesn't like totally feel like one. That's actually one that feels a little bit like, and here's another thing. Yeah. That one feels like it's like not the closer that's like this captures it feels like a bonus track almost. It, it almost does because what you're getting on Electric Ladyland is like kind of the weird side of Hendrix. It's a little more experimental. Yep. Like you have songs like 1983, If a Merman I Turn to Be or whatever. Like <laughs> yes. these weird tracks on there. I love that album. And, and Voodoo Child is him doing, he's like, all right, here's some straight ahead. And that song's a, an absolute banger. That song's incredible. Um, another one for you that stands on its own is Riders on the Storm by The Door. So that's another like, even though it's seven minutes long, that's a radio song, and that's like kind of a hit from them. Although that kind of goes into the category of like that epic finish as well. Oh, here's another one for you. I Am a Rock by Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. That's just a radio hit too. Yep. That's just an example of a song that like I heard growing I would never have guessed that was a closer necessarily. I know. There's yeah. no and that's the thing is that there are some of those songs, there's that category totally of like, oh, that ends the album. That yep. is like one of the biggest hits. Um so let me ask you this, Jake. If you had to give me like five of your favorite album closers ever, do you have a list that you have ready? I do I not have. I don't ready. have. A, I don't have like a formal list, but I'll give you five. All right. I'll give you when the levee breaks. Yep. I'll give you tomorrow never knows by the Beatles. Yeah. I kind of have to put a day in the life by the Beatles in there too. Um, That's I, the thing is we barely even touched on them. You I almost don't, don't even have to. Because, yeah. like, the, I mean, those I two know. songs are, like, the that, ones. pretty much, yeah. For the rest of them, like, they either have, like, kind of a weak closer or, like, it, it like not. Those are the two, like, super famous Beatle closers. Uh, I'll give you Continuous Thunder by Japan Droids. I think it's a perfect way to, to, to finish off Celebration Rock. And then... I'll give you Mr. November by the, by uh, by the National. I was hoping somehow you wouldn't say it just because I want that in mind, and I I think it's going to sound now like I picked it just because you said it. But Mr. November goes in there. Um, Can I tell a quick story about Mr. November? Is it the lyric thing? Well, it's this song wasn't originally written for the album. They needed one more song. This is an awesome story. They needed one more song to put on their label, which was is, is Beggar's Banquet, the label, uh, or Beggar's, whatever it is. They're a, a United Kingdom-based label. Uh, and they're like, yeah, we need one more song for the album. We kind of need like a like a single or like a like a hit that we can that we can use for it. So this song is actually all about Matt Berninger, the the lead singer and songwriter, uh, or ly- lyrics writer coming up with this song and he's like I can't I won't fuck us over I'm Mr. November like I the English are waiting he's referring to the the record label based in England and that whole song is about him just like struggling to write this hit song which ended up being one of their biggest songs to date and I'm Um, glad we brought it up because Mr. November is one of my favorite closers because it's such a cathartic burst mm -hmm. at the end of Alligator it's one of the few reasons I like Alligator more than Boxer even. Mr. November is such an amazing closer. And it just feels like, to me, that song totally captures the National as, like, 
this struggling, starving artist mm-hmm. band that like they're like we don't know if we're ever gonna get our like big break, but yep. like let's just let's go for it here on this song. Mr. November is an absolutely awesome song. All right, I gotta try to scrounge up a top five. I'm gonna do my best. So I'm gonna steal Tomorrow Never Knows. I'm gonna steal a day in the life. I have. I think to. you have to. Those songs are not only great songs. Th- what they did in terms of like studio wizardry on Tomorrow Never Knows, or just like the the combination of Paul McCartney um, songwriting and John Lennon songwriting on a day in the life is amazing. And the fact that unlike Tomorrow Never Knows, it was recorded in an era where tape loops, they were doing them manually. They were they had tape set up around the studio. And if they recorded it a minute later, you wouldn't hear the loops in the same order you hear them now. That wasn't like a track. They would never be able to like replicate the it was just all happy accidents. So the way you hear that song could like, literally never be recreated. It could never be recreated. So like that it, there's also that lore to it. So you gotta include those. I have to include when the levy breaks. How can I not? And you have to include Mr. November. And I already so said Mr. To... November. So I gotta find a number I, five. I would think for you it's Desolation Row, right? It would have to be Desolation Row, my favorite Bob Dylan song. Yeah. So there you go. There yeah. you go. That's my five. That feels that feels very anticlimactic. It on does. a on a podcast all about climaxes. Yeah. That is that I feel bad. I feel like I let the listeners down. But to be honest with you, man, those would have been them anyways. That's I mean, true. What am I gonna do? I'm not gonna be like, oh yeah, it's Butterfly from Pinkerton. Like it's, I I'm not gonna pick Fillmore Jive by Pavement. Hey man. And then we start in on the pavement argument again. Dude, and I, I love that song. We won't even go into it. No, we won't go into it. Don't worry. Um, Don't worry. Just, yeah, just that, that hate is, them blindly. <laughs> it's not blindly <laughs> by any stretch. Uh, so that is our discussion on best album closers. There's actually Jake more than we thought, I think. There's a ton on here. Like right now I'm, I'm scrolling up. I'm scrolling past Street Spirit Fade Out by Radiohead. Didn't, Didn't even, even mention, mention it. it. Great song. Yeah. Great song. So I would encourage all the listeners to go onto Spotify. Go find, just search for the Listen In Podcast playlist. We have a list of 72 album closers here, some of our favorites of all time. Go ahead and check that out. Um, You know, feel free to to tweet us some of your favorites as well that you think we missed. There you Um, go. So you can tweet at us at level4 underscore media. uh, And then you can follow us on the blog at level4media.net. And then please, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It goes a long way for us. I feel as though we should have said that from the jump here because that is important. We need to get better at that. Yeah, and it, it is an emphasis. So if you're listening, seriously, like if you if you have not thrown us a, a star rating on iTunes or just any kind of written review, either would help. It can be super short. Seriously, if you just went on and like gave us a quick out of five star review, it's very helpful and it helps like build some credibility and build yep. some some following. So um, it'd be much appreciated. Yep. And as always, we appreciate you listening for sure because we know it, it it's you know taking an hour or so out of your day to listen to two people talk about music, um, not necessarily on everyone's docket, not necessarily on everyone's agenda, um, and it means a lot that you listen to to us because there's a lot of people you could listen to instead of us. So. Yep. Yeah, it's greatly appreciated from both of us. For sure. So thanks for listening, and see you next week. Bye, Shout out to Preem Team. didn't think of anything to talk about today.
did you? Um, no. You're drawing a blank. I think we set ourselves up in a bad way doing this. I would agree. Because now there's an expectation. Not really. I mean, there's like eight listeners. <clears throat> the eight, eight listeners are expecting... Of a- the people who get to this point of the episode, yeah, there's like eight. So I guess we're letting them down. Um, if you're still here, how about this? This is a fun thing. If you're ooh, still listening, ooh, like tweet this. a s- secret phrase. Or, or what were you thinking? Well, I was, I was thinking say, they could tweet a secret password that we it's only revealed. This is, this is like the preem team. This is like the premium right. members. Yes. <clears throat> and so what, what do we want to be our password? Tweet us preem team. How would you spell that? P-R-E-M-E. Are you sure? T-E-A-M. I'm making it up. P-R-E-M-E? I get right because are you talking about premium? Yeah, premium is P R E M, I U M. Whatever. Is there another matter. E? Should be P R E E M. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I just wanted to rhyme premium with team. Okay. Premium team. So P R E E M. Yeah. Team yeah. tweet at level four media. Hashtag premium team. Hashtag premium team. If you've made it to this point, you're in the premium team. That's right. Um, let's get that shit trending. You're that, in the ring of honor. That's all I have to say. And yeah. uh, there really will be no reward because <laughs> we're Ill- be an exclusive group. But minus that, there's we're Ill- equipped to provide you Tell with you anything. What. Tell you what's going to happen. Exclusive content coming for the premium team at a date to be named later. Maybe, maybe the premium team gets like. A secret podcast. Okay. Or do we a have secret, a, like, something. Do we have a date cutoff for Prem Team members? Like, they have to tweet it at us at, before a certain Yeah, date. they have to tweet it at us before next week's show. Okay. So, okay. So, before Tuesday the 19th. Yeah. Tweet, at, tweet hashtag Prem Team. Yeah. P-R-E-M-E-T-E-A-M at Level 4 Media. Yep. And receive nothing except our, our honor. Also... How about a few people getting in the mix, having me compare them to an album? It was I great. That went really well. Mine was very touching. I, was I thought all of them kind of were. Yeah, they they were. You did a good job. Those were hard to do. Those well, I assume some of those people will be Prem Team members. I would think so. Okay. So big shout to them. Big shout to the Prem Team before we know who you are. Big shout. Uh, you want to dive in? <clears throat> yeah, I think we should. That was a long. Okay. Yeah, we should get going. Okay. All right. Ready. Three, two, one. <laughs> 